HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Little M. Tucker. Our goal is to help chefs and restaurateurs craft their tabletop story. You can learn more at www.littlemtucker.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, November 11th. This is the 86th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is considered among New York's leading hospitality attorneys, and I will introduce her in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to practice due diligence. When it comes to clients or any business practices, be sure to take the time to do your research. You want to make informed decisions and work with good people and businesses. So do do due diligence. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very honored to have my guest here. It is Carolyn Richmond, a partner at Fox Rothschild, attorneys at law and co-chair of the firm's Labor and Department and Employment Department and Hospitality Practice Group. Carolyn's practice largely consists of representing and counseling employers in the hospitality industry, specifically restaurants, hotels, caterers, nightclubs, and fitness centers. She was honored as one of Crane's 40 Under 40 class of 2009. She earned a B.S. degree from Cornell University, where she now sits on the Alumni Board of Directors, and she frequently lectures throughout the country on issues concerning tipping, positive employee relations, and other matters affecting the hospitality industry. So welcome, Carolyn. Thanks, Shari, for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Um, I want to get started to know how you got into hospitality law, because you went to Cornell. So at that time, did you see a future in hospitality? Not 
Not even a future. <laughs> I, I had roommates who were in the hotel school, but typical of any Cornellian, you tend to make fun of them, which was the wrong thing to do. I was an ILRE, which is um, a labor major, and didn't even think back then I would be a wage and hour attorney, didn't pay that much attention to the comp or wage and hour classes. Um, but somehow, 25 years later, the ILR school and the hotel school merged, and I seem to be the poster child for um, merging those two schools. Oh, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> I got the cheaper tuition. Good for you. So, and then, so after college, did you decide, decide to go to law school right away? I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer, um, and it was a natural progression to focus on employment law and labor relations. And I spent the first five years or so getting um, really a great education as a, what you'd call a labor lawyer, employment lawyer, sexual harassment, discrimination. Again, never doing a thing with wage and hour. It wasn't really um, much of an issue in the 90s. And um, around 1996, early in my career, I sort of had a moonlighting job working for the DNC and as a volunteer on the Clinton campaigns and spent a lot of time getting involved in this federal and state politics. And it was kind of happenstance in 1997 that I was a, a seat filler at an Al Gore luncheon at the plaza and happened to be seated next to Steve Hansen. And that turned to be turned out to be really the fait accompli that kind of changed my future in life. Wow. Um, met Steve, recognized who Steve was. You really couldn't live in New York and not know his restaurants or his face. And told him I was an employment lawyer, kind of fudged a little and said I did a lot of restaurant work. But Steve gave me a chance, uh, it's now 18 years ago, and became his general counsel few years later when we opened the James Hotel and have was his counsel and bear guest counsel ever ever since. As I say, outhouse and in-house counsel. And oh, so that's how you met him. That's like, why I met him. It was, I don't know if Steve remembers, but it was 1997. Uh, he was mistakenly uh, seated at probably the worst table. Should have been on the dais with the vice president. And it was fortuitous that I had a few minutes to talk to him. And the rest was, as they say, history. And I got an incredible education working and learning from Steve and somehow became this expert in restaurant and employment law. And when I left working for Steve full time in about 2004 and happened to be at an incredible time um, with respect to employment law, it's when wage and hour suits first started to pop up. The federal law started changed in 2004. It was the last time we had amendments to the FLSA. And by 2005, 2006, when I was back in private practice, that's when you first got class actions in New York City over tipping. And the timing couldn't have been any perfect, at least as an employment lawyer, to have had experience in-house as a labor lawyer working for a restaurant group. There's not that many of us out there. Um, well, that's what it seems. It seems, not it seems, you are, from what I understand, the go-to hospitality law person in New York City. There's a few of us that do this, but not too many that had the um, fortunate opportunity to learn from the ground up. Um, Steve made me trail even as a lawyer um, and made me trail on the front of the house. And I certainly learned in the back of the house and really got to know what the jobs were like and understood what a tip pool was. It's archaic stuff, and it's hard to understand what pooling and sharing is and it's hard to really understand how a restaurant operates. It's different than other organizations. So 
having a chance to really work within it. It was a tough job, but it was a great understanding. And I always think of it as my version of a judicial clerkship. I didn't clerk for a judge, but clerking for Steve and working for the company gave me an incredible opportunity to really learn the business and couple that with the law. And it's been it's been fun and it's been exhausting. I can imagine. Well, Be Our Guest is a, a very well-known restaurant group. And how many restaurants did they have at the time when you started or about? I think two, I'm just trying to think, 1997, 1998, they had just opened Atlantic Grill. So it was a, less than six at the time, well over a dozen plus the hotel and... Um, we had opened the James at the time, and it's great to still see that brand owned by someone else, but still around, and a gym. So at the time, it was it was a very big company with a number of different elements. Right. Um, but you said you still work with them now? Still work with, okay. with Be Our Guest, um, st- stayed around, and it's great to see companies grow and change, and still work uh, in the city for you know a, a number of different operators of all sizes and um, different types of restaurant groups. So your clientele, is it mostly based in New York City or is it across the country? It's mostly based in New York City, um, but it's started to expand to some national operators and international operators as well. And my team and I are able to provide particular expertise in in tipping now and minimum wage issues as they affect New York State in particular, Um, but some insight into new plans and new ways to maybe address tipping. And we've been called on by some of the bigger national and international hotel and restaurant groups to help there. But 90% of it is New York City-based. We have an unbelievable dining community at all levels, and I can be pretty much busy on any given day just south of 14th Street. (laughs) I can imagine. Well, since we're talking tipping and there's a lot going on in that arena, let me jump into my question I had from last week. I had on Ed Schoenfeld, the owner of Red Farm and Decoy, and his question is, service charge or tipping? What's the effect of raising minimum wage for tipped employees? That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, it's Ed. <laughs> well, Ed's, Ed's been around long enough. Um, he, he's seen changes in the industry, but let's take service charge. Um there's a big confusion over what a service charge is, and over the last decade, there's been a lot of litigation. The idea of a service charge is it is compulsory, and unlike a gratuity, which is up to the guest and it's their decision, a service charge is typically left in a banquet or private dining. And when a service charge is used, the facility or venue applies it, it's taxable to the guest. And what's most important in New York State is you may not take the tip credit against the minimum wage for your employees if you are using um, a service charge or administrative fee, meaning um, as of December 31st, minimum wage goes to $9 an hour, and with the tip credit of $1.50, the tipped rate will be $7.50. If you were to apply a service charge, you couldn't use that lower rate. And the other factor that I think a lot of people are confused about is we also have a law with respect to consumer affairs in New York City. The Department of Consumer Affairs has a clear regulation under restaurant surcharges that says that restaurateurs may not apply a surcharge or service charge on across-the-board menu prices. So it's actually not an option right now. It's not a question of can you use a surcharge or a gratuity. 
It's not an either or. It's up to the guest whether they want to leave a gratuity. Um, when you are contracting for a special event or a venue, that's something different. When it's a one-on-one contractual relationship, you can actually use more of an administrative fee. Um, so there's a lot of crazy nuance. There's a lot of confusion. A lot of restaurateurs and attorneys don't even understand it. And we often see a lot of government regulators that don't really understand the nuances because you're dealing with city consumer affairs law, tax law, tax code, federal wage and hour laws, and state wage and hour laws. And it's an incredibly um, overlapping and confusing area. Yes, it is. It's complicated. So over the years, have you had a lot of tipping type case cases that you've represented the restaurants and and then there's a lot of change happening now, especially with the Union Square Hospitality Group announcing that they're going to go hospitality included and get rid of the tipping. So I'm sure you you may have more coming up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of coming up to a climax now of people saying we've got to do something different. And the lawsuit started about 10 years ago in 2005 uh, with respect to tipping, and they first started with some pretty s- simplistic issues of who could be in the tip pool. And there were a lot of old and green practices in New York and throughout the country that might not have been, as we say in the legal world, kosher. Um, And the problem was you'd have maitre d's and other classifications that traditionally were tipped employees, but if you looked at the actual law, they weren't supposed to be. They might have been managers who had the power to hire and fire and shouldn't have been sharing tips um, in a tip pool. So the first set of um, lawsuits really surrounded maitre d's and managers in the pool. Hopefully, after a few years, people started to realize that had to change. Then the other lawyers, the plaintiff's bar, got smart and said, let's look further. And then they looked deeper in the tip pool and said, well, there's also some other jobs that shouldn't be in the tip pool because they're not food service workers who can share in tips, like polishers and um, stockers and expediters who don't spend enough time in the dining room. So that was the next progression of suits. And then the law changed a little and actually made it even harder for those jobs. We had something called an 80-20 rule, which essentially said you had to spend 80% of your time engaged in direct food service work and no more than two hours or 20%. So that's a very short way of saying that the suits keep evolving. Every time someone thinks they've caught up with compliance, something else comes along. 2011, the state added more paperwork rules that made it incredibly tough to comply with respect to the paperwork you have to maintain on tip pools and tip credits. So the suits didn't stop. The government didn't stop investigating. The penalties for certain paperwork violations went from zero to $2,500 to $10,000 an employee per year max in four years. Um, And when you look at hundreds of employees, that became prohibitive, um, let alone the tip pool claims themselves and attorney fees. So even a small restaurant is looking at claims of a couple of million dollars for a restaurant, maybe 30 employees. Um, So I think this all reached ahead this year when you couple it with the drive for $15 an hour and the threat of the loss of the tip credit in its entirety, that's when you have employers like Danny Meyer and Tom Colicchio and others around the country saying, enough's enough, we need to find another model in order to survive and in order to bring some other type of model to our customers and keep our level of um, guest service. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking... It's I mean, a lot. It is a lot. It's... I, I think... I mean, I know you're busy now. I think you're going <laughs> to continue to be busy. Um, it's, it's complicated, and I think... I'm thinking back in the day when I waited tables, and I never, I never once gave thought to an 80-20 rule well, back it wa- then. It wasn't... Th- first, the rule wasn't there, and I think... It's an interesting community. You and your peers then and your peers now have always been a very smart front of the house uh, group of employees, particularly in, in New York. <laughs> it's always, but it's a transient group, and employees now are even more aware of their rights. But the rights keep changing and developing, and um, particularly now, servers will call employers on any inequality or perceived inequality in a second. And it's very, nobody wants me on their speed dial, and I don't blame them. And no one wants to be paying my rates every day, all day long, to make sure you're in compliance. And quite frankly, you can't run a business that way. Um, And you just, you can't run fast enough to keep up with the changes. And you're dealing now with different stakeholders. You're dealing with not just protecting the employees you're dealing with the stakeholders of this entire movement for $15 an hour and protecting minimum wage employees that's coming from the state, it's coming from the unions, the SEIU, which is blocked, which is backing the $15 an hour movement. And they're not necessarily wrong that people need higher wages, um, but there's a lot of attention on the restaurant industry that's probably unfair. It should be focused probably on the economy and the market as a whole, but it's having a big detrimental effect on this industry. It is, for sure. And on that note, we're going to take a little break. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. At Little M. Tucker, our goal is to help chefs and restaurateurs craft their tabletop story. We have a unique expertise in china, glassware, flatware, and more that will help guide your purchasing decisions. Consult with us and you will leave a long-lasting impression on your guests. Express your brand clearly and use high-quality, functional products designed for the commercial hospitality market. Little M. Tucker is a division of M. Tucker and Singer Equipment Company, the largest food service distributor on the East Coast, which means we can get you what you need when you need it. If you're looking for a responsive, knowledgeable, reliable partner, please contact us today. You can learn more at www.littlemtucker.com. Hi, this is Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And you know, I remember my very first show, December 2009. It was a cold winter. And my first guest was William Grimes from the New York Times. Now, the one specific I had to tell him was wear a hat, gloves, and a warm coat because our studio had no heat. We had no heat in the winter. We had no air conditioning in the summertime. It was rough going, but we were a startup and we had a good show, regardless of the fact that we could see our breath. So today we still have hurdles to climb over, and the only way we can get there is with your help. So if you would please consider being a member and press that little beating heart button in the upper right-hand corner to donate. It's going to help us have heat 
and electricity and air conditioning and really good sound with really great guests. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Carolyn Richmond, a partner at Fox Rothschild, Attorneys at Law. We're talking about this tipping point that's happening, <laughs> major tipping point uh, that's happening in the industry. And actually, last night, I saw Carolyn at Journey, which uh, Anthony Rudolph, who was my guest, uh, I don't know, several episodes ago, and Journey is fabulous, and they are doing these amazing talks. And so Carolyn was at this talk last night about overtime comp- compensation, which I found very interesting and complicated as well. So that's another big change happening. Yeah. As I said, there's a lot coming all at once. And about every decade or so, the Fair Labor Standards Act or the FLSA seems to get overhauled. And the last overhaul was, as I said, 2004, which sort of precipitated all of this wage and hour litigation. And President Obama directed the Department of Labor about 18 months ago to look at the white-collar exemptions specifically. And this summer, they released the draft. There was a comment period, and we expect um, the final version of the revised um, overtime exemption rules sometime next year, and they'll go into effect, we imagine, before the election. That's going to have a big effect on not just hospitality, but retail and, frankly, every industry. To briefly explain what's going to happen... Um, in order to be exempt from overtime and to be entitled to be paid a salary, uh, regardless of the hours you work, you have to meet certain requirements. And there's typically a duties requirement that looks at the function of your job, and then there's a salary requirement. And under the federal rules right now, it's about $23,000 a year. It hasn't changed much in the past few decades. It's expected to go up to 51000 dollars annually, which is probably long overdue, but one of the issues is regionally that's going to have a big effect. $51,000 a year for a manager, some would say is still too high, but might not be as high here in New York or LA as it is in other parts of the country that don't have the same cost of living. So that's a concern for a lot of employers. But they're also thinking of changing the duties test to model it after what's known as a California test where at least 50% of your functions during the day must be managerial if you are to maintain the exemption from overtime. And that's likely to have a very detrimental effect on retail and hospitality. And specifically in hospitality, you have sous chefs and floor managers that spend an entire shift or service working on the floor. And for a sous chef who spends all night cooking and working the line and expediting, um, that's their job. They then spend the off hours during the day and after service doing their managerial hiring, interviewing, evaluating, payroll. But if that doesn't equal up to more than 50% of the time they're cooking, they may have to be paid hourly. And these are employees that work 50, 60 hours a week or more, and it's going to have a huge effect on payrolls and staffing. And that's that's a risk. We all understand the goal is... Um, good. You want to make sure people are paid value. Um, But the problem with this and the $15 an hour increase is the money has to come from somewhere. And in order to pay people $15 an hour who might be making $9 an hour now, or in order to raise someone's salary from $40 to $51,000, 
you either have to raise prices considerably on the consumer or more than likely you also have to lay off employees to cover the additional pay somewhere else. So in theory, it's nice to say we want to raise people to a higher standard of living. No one's going to disagree with that. But in practicality, you actually have to listen to businesses, and particularly small businesses, and see what the results are going to be. And that's going to have a lot of scary consequences um, on employment levels, a lot of people are thinking, in the next year or two. Well, that's what it sounds like. And, I mean, the 50-50 rule, that's... You said that's new, and it's different than the 80-20. Yeah, we have all these number rules. I, I, I looked after, I went home last night, and I Googled all this stuff because I was confused. And I, can't, I'm, I can't keep it straight. I'm getting it a little bit so now. The 50% rule is in place in California. It, it's a very bright line test that's actually relatively easy to understand, it, assuming you stand behind your employees with a stopwatch, and you can look at a, a sous chef and say, okay, they've been cooking on the line from 5 p.m. to 10 at night, and that's five hours of time doing non-managerial work. Um, But they were only maybe in the office from 2 to 5 today doing managerial work where they interviewed and uh, did payroll and accounting functions. So since it was more non-managerial work, more than 50%, they must be paid hourly, entitled to overtime. That's the 50% rule. The 80-20 rule has to do with whether you can be a tipped employee or not, and did you spend at least 80% of your time essentially touching the tables in the dining room. Different test. Yes, yes. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of numbers, and oh, we'll see what... We'll see. I mean, you're really in it. I mean, I'm sort of like in it and watching it, but you're, you're advising people, counseling people... Um, we hold a lot of seminars. We we write a lot on it. We have daily phone calls. I mean, my call sheet is you know fifteen or twenty people a day that you're answering the same questions and trying to work out samples and uh, solutions. I mean, the great thing about this industry is you really are working with creative people. So we hear a lot of incredible creative solutions. But I've just earned nicknames lately. Besides, Grim, Grim Reaper has been a moniker Lawrence Kretschmer gave me years ago. <laughs> He'll hate me saying that again. And now it's Dr. No, um, because I'm always saying, nope, nope, that won't work. Nope, not lawful. And there's just, it's a lot of limiting options. And it would be nice one day if I could say, yes, that's a great idea. Super, that'll work. Um, but it's its tough to be creative here. Well. Uh-huh. Doctor, no. I mean, do you do you love this? I mean, I I love being part of the hospitality industry. Now that you fell in it, you're in it, but you're dealing with all these issues. Do you love working? I love in wor- it. I love working in it. I mean, the early part of my career, I got to know um, steel mills a lot and um, the hospital healthcare industry, which is what I grew up in as a child. And it's always great to get to know the people in an industry. But this, how can you not love it? I mean, the people are creative. It's fun. You're generally providing great service to people when they're happy. I just happen to be on the other side of it, telling the operators all the negative. Um, so they're usually happy people. Right. Um, but I'm the one dealing with the really negative side of it now. But it is a great industry, and it's one that I can trace generations of my family. My great-grandfather was a restaurateur in the city and the surrounding areas. So I'd like to say it's, it's in my blood, deep in my blood. Um, but yeah. it's it's a fun industry. I agree, and I think the industry obviously needs you. 
Question, do you always represent the operator side or do you ever take on cases where you're representing the sure. tipped employees? It's a great question. This is the one area of the law where you really do pick sides. Your labor, your management, your employer or employee, it, you can't run the risk of creating bad law for your employer. So whereas a corporate lawyer can really represent any side um, of a deal, I represent management. Um, and and that's it. I can't run the risk of representing an employee and being a great attorney and creating horrible law for an employer. Um, so I've always been a management lawyer and will continue to be a management lawyer, even though uh, it's always on the side of no, it seems, these days. <laughs> Got it. No, that that's what I thought, but I, I was curious if, yeah, but, but that makes sense. Yeah, I like doing it. It's counseling, and usually it, it's teaching and training people how to avoid problems, and right. that's the side I like. So what advice would you give to someone who's thinking of opening a restaurant right now in New York City? Get the advice you need. Don't just jump into it and think you can open a restaurant and start serving food. You have to do, as you said at the beginning, a lot of due diligence. Um, I hate hearing that people didn't spend the time to talk to whether it was a licensing lawyer about getting the right certificates and licenses or a labor lawyer and finding out there actually are rules and paperwork requirements. It's a lot more than just getting um, your certificate to open and, and then you're done. It's it's more detailed. So join restaurant associations, join the Hospitality Alliance, join Journey, join whatever groups, the Chamber of Commerce, get free information where you can but also do your diligence on getting the right accountant and the right attorney, and they're not always the most expensive. Get someone that specializes in that area. Um, If you're a doctor, I would hope you would find an attorney who specializes in representing healthcare who understands. Um, Right now we're we're a society of specialists because we've gotten very detail-oriented in the law and accounting and tax, and that's the advice, find the right advice. Spend the money now um, because I guarantee the lawsuit will kill you later. Um, a few thousand dollars now to get the right advice is a lot better than 500000 later to get out of it. Excellent. Great advice. We're going to take another break here. We're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. tunes are courtesy of keto our former intern declan we'll be right back on all in the industry This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bear. My guest is Carolyn Richmond. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, either or type situation, and you just pick your preference. Sure. Okay, so here we go. 
Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Hmm. Wine. Okay. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? <laughs> Ooh, that's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> Tipping. Okay. Got an answer out of you. Cool. How about making a reservation or walking into a restaurant? Making a reservation. Litigation or counseling? Oh, God. Counseling. <laughs> Thought you might go that direction. Never litigation. <laughs> Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Oh, that's a tough one. I go through periods of either or. Currently in a cheese stage. Okay. How about Manhattan or Brooklyn? That's a tough one, too. Born in Manhattan, spent the earliest years in Brooklyn, back to Manhattan. That's a 50-50. Okay. Where in Brooklyn? Flatbush. Ah. We're talking early 70s. Yeah, it must have been a totally different neighborhood. I hardly remember it. <laughs> Great. You were, you were very good at this game. But I still have my roots in Brooklyn. Okay. 50-50 on that. I'll give it to you. So let's talk some industry news. Uh, there was an article just the other day about in restaurant business on Joe's Crab Shack chain tries no tipping by Peter Romeo. So this is this is exactly what we're talking about here. So this Joe's Crab Shack, which apparently has 18 units across the country, they said they're going to start uh, giving servers a wage at $14 an hour. They said it will vary based on past performance. And their price increase will be about 12 to 15%, according to this article. I think that's a big deal, and I think it's going to be very important to see what happens. What's particularly important about that is they're in multiple jurisdictions and different markets. It's different from Danny Meyer's restaurant, which is starting at the modern, at the higher, and certainly at the highest end of the dining community. To see how it works in more moderate income levels and more moderate uh, pricing models, I think, will be an incredibly interesting experiment, um, and, and certainly to see how a restaurant can adapt across jurisdictions. If it works, it's going to be that'll be the game changer um, to see if. I think someone said um, last year, the author Waiter Rant, that by nature servers are gamblers, and that they he thinks they want tips because they're gamblers and always want to see if the next big whale comes in. But for a lot of servers that live paycheck to paycheck, maybe they do want the security of 15 an hour all the time. And I think that'll really tell. I don't think that article said that they'd be adding a service charge or anything on top of it. So it'll be interesting to see how the servers react and how consumers react. No, true. I don't think it said that either. And that's interesting. I do think servers, there's something about the excitement of, you know, seeing what tips you're going to get, but there's also the disappointment sometimes. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a huge, I, this whole thing is so huge, you know, but that's, again, we, we have, we're an industry that's providing for a lot of different stakeholders. And it's, I guess one of my college words that we have, um, some who are here that it really is an important, it's a job that they rely on and that it's a career. And some are here because it's convenient hours 
and they have kids to take care of and parents and they need different shifts. Some are here because they're transient and in New York they're students or they're actors or models and it serves a lot of different people. So certain employees are gamblers and want to take the risk that they'll have a big whale and a big tipper one day and others need a lot more security. So it, the model may work for some and may not work for others. And I, I think we're all struggling to see what change will work. And I think everyone knows we need a change. Right. And also for consumers, what they will be happy with. or I mean, it's a cultural change that's happening in the U.S. We're known as a tipping culture. Well, it's we are, and it's incredibly confusing. I, I spoke with um, one of my colleagues, I won't quote him, today, uh, we mentioned his company though, uh, and he pointed out <laughs> that this is particularly confusing because if you're coming in right now as a tourist in December and going to multiple restaurants over the holiday weeks, you could now have four or five different tipping or no tipping models and you might not necessarily know at the moment exactly what's what, which is why it's incredibly important and we spent a lot of time writing disclaimers and explaining. But until this all washes out across the country as to whether it's a service charge or simply no tipping and the price is absorbed, um, you do have confusion with consumers while we wait and figure out what works best um, because it's not just a simple gratuity. And I don't think consumers also realize the cost for employers. Restaurants are dealing with the Obamacare increase, paid sick leave increases, the pressure that's now being brought on employers, particularly restaurateurs, not to have on-call and the ability to call in employees off of call when someone's no-call, no-show for the day. There's a lot of increases. New York City, the rent has gone up preposterously, so restaurateurs need to raise prices anyway, and labor costs are going up exponentially. So there's a lot of pressure everywhere. Yes, and the other article I had was in USA Today, Fast Food Workers Strike, Seeking $15 Wage, Political Muscle by Paul Davidson. This is another thing we've been talking about. So it was yesterday that fast food workers demanding a $15 an hour minimum wage walked out of hundreds of cities. And um, I mean, that's another thing, you know, with the minimum wage and we're, t- we're talking about. So. so they tried, I think it was, they were trying to do this in about a thousand cities across the country yesterday. It was, I think, the biggest of the of these one-day, $15-an-hour so-called strikes. It, it's backed again, as I yeah. said, by the SEIU. This is a big deal. It is a political movement. It, it's an, We're looking at really a new way of organizing. Uh, it, it's, to me, the next generation of union organizing. While the union's behind it, this is a, a lot more of a social justice movement. And although I'm a management lawyer, it's been fairly successful. We've had some significant increases in the minimum wage in cities, which hasn't typically occurred. Um, out in the out west, we've seen that. We see that happening in New York. Uh, the governor is really set on wa- raising wages to 15 an hour, not just in fast food. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of studies coming out in the next year that show that there may be some detrimental effects that are significant to the economy if we make these big jumps to 15 an hour. While it's great to raise wages it's also going to have a detrimental effect on probably um, employability and employment levels because we don't know that retailers and restaurateurs can afford to keep the same level and raise what will likely be 200% raises um, over the next couple of years. Um, 
I don't think employers want to charge, you know, eighty dollars for a chicken dish or restaurant tours. I don't know that that's a likely possibility. <laughs> I think I know one that does already. You know? <laughs> but it's we for two. <laughs> True. We've seen that, but I don't yeah. think we want to walk no. into our diner, uh, you know, out in the suburbs and start paying forty or fifty dollars to support fifteen dollars an hour. It's noble. And we all agree wages need to rise, but on the backs of small businesses, it's incredibly hard to do that and sustain employment levels. Yes, very true. Time will tell what what's to come. In the meantime, we're going to take another break, come back and do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is On the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. back to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at The Finch. Location, 212 Green Avenue in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. The concept, a hospitality-driven American restaurant in a newly renovated brownstone. The chef and owner, Gabe McMacken. Why did I go? Because I recently met Gabe and I heard wonderful things about his newish restaurant. My experience. So I made a reservation for one on a recent Saturday night. And when I arrived, I said hello to Gabe, who was in the open kitchen. I was seated at a two-top in the back dining room. I asked if there were any spots at the chef's counter, but there weren't. So I settled in and enjoyed the intimate setting. What did I get? Gabe kindly sent out sparkling wine, which I exchanged for sparkling water as well as their baby red Russian kale salad with smoked ricotta, pistachio puree, and balsamic. I ordered the shaved lamb tongue with melon cucumber and smoked arctic char with spaghetti and butternut squash with apple cider sauce. My take. Everything was excellent. I especially loved the arctic char, which was perfectly cooked and delicious. The scene. Local Brooklynites. Perfect for a date night or dinner with friends. Interesting tidbit. The Finch recently received a Michelin star, a huge accomplishment, so congratulations. Personal fun fact. I've had a couple restaurant clients in Clinton Hill, including Soco on Myrtle Avenue, and the neighborhood's dining scene keeps getting better. The cost was $38, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, especially to sit at that chef's counter. Website is thefinchnyc.com. There we have it. Have you have you heard of this place, Carolyn? I have not, but the shaved lamb's tongue sounded kind of interesting. It was really good. It's not something I order all the time. I don't think I've heard <laughs> of it before, but it sounds sounds like a promising dish. Yeah. Sherry, I have to jump great. in because I recently had a meal there and also had the shaved lamb's tongue, and it was really, <laughs> really good. I love the jump in, and I'm glad yeah. you had that, too. I smell a trend. Oh, man. It was a real, It was one of the better meals I've had in a, in a while. Good to know. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, Clinton Hill. I keep meeting food writers that live in that neighborhood. So I think uh, the, the dining scene is trying to please them. <laughs> also, uh, one more tidbit. Gabe McMacken was one of the earliest chefs here at Roberta's in the early days, which is how I know him. So uh, years and years ago, he was in the kitchen back here. It all comes full circle. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I did, I did know he worked at Roberta's. So, yes, it, it all does come together. Awesome. Time for the final question. My next guest is Carol Chin. She's the vice president of culinary events at Octagon, a global leader in sports, music, and entertainment marketing. Carolyn, can you ask Carol a question? I guess the question that I would ask is, well, I think I'm going to get in trouble for asking it, is, but what's her preference when dining? Would she rather have an all-in fee or pay a gratuity? Sure. Be happy to ask her. Do you know her, Carol Chin? I don't. She's she's now based in L.A., but she lived in New York for a while. I met her uh, like a decade ago when she did culinary events with uh, Bon Appetit. So she's uh, she's she's been in the I industry. Probably a while. looked at one of her contracts at some point. <laughs> I do have <laughs> no to make doubt. one correction to something I said because I'm going to get a lot of uh, comments. It would not be wine. That would be my choice. You needed a fifth question. <laughs> I think every restaurateur and chef around town knows that my drink is a Diet Coke with lemon. Okay, there, there we have it. Well, I, have I added, I've added in the mocktail category because, but I guess non-alcoholic beverage. I could be saying it's the caffeine, and I'm kind of ah, known for that Diet Coke with lemon. There we with have anything. it. Okay, good to know. Um, I'll, I'll be sure be sure uh, to to get you that if I'm ever serving you at a restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> or we're dining together, or we're on dining Lance together. Time. Yes, awesome, and that is the show. Thank you so much for having me today. This was terrific. Well, thank you. I'm very impressed with your whole career and everything you're doing. And I, as I said, I think the industry does need you, and you're providing a lot of advice and counseling that that's making a difference. Well, so. let's see what happens a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that's true. Let's see. So my guest today has been Carolyn Richmond. She's a partner at Fox Rothschild Attorneys at Law. She's also the co-chair of the Hospitality Practice Group and the Labor and Employment Department. Their website is foxrothschild.com. You can find them on social media at foxrothschild at Carolyn Richmond. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. I now have two websites, bayerpublicrelations.com and sherrybayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived on heritageradionetwork.org. We are on Stitcher and iTunes. You can leave reviews out there, so I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Thanks, many thanks to Carolyn for taking the time to come out here. Thanks to my engineer, Jack. And also, thanks to my sister, my niece and nephew and brother-in-law for coming out here today to visit me at Heritage Radio Network. Great to see you out at Roberta's. I hope you enjoyed the pizza. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.